One of our elders, Greg Harrell, is coming to bring a word that's pertinent to us as a church and to you as a person. Come right on, brother. Well, good morning, church. You know I love you, right? <laughs> okay. Just want to make sure that everybody knows that. <laughs> okay. Let's pray. Lord God, here I am. And Lord, I ask that you would use me to deliver the word that you have given me, Lord, and to encourage your people, Lord God. I thank you, Lord, that you're an everlasting God. You love us so much, Lord. Be with your people as they receive what you have to speak to them today, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, back in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, there was a British philosopher and writer. His name was G.K. Chesterton. He was a prolific writer. He wrote about 80 books, 4,000 essays. He called himself a lay minister. He was one of the most brilliant apologetic minds that ever walked the face of the planet. He knew how to defend the Christian faith. Writers of the time called him the Prince of Paradox because his thinking was so deep. And and so I I was going to quote, actually use the quote, and I'm going to abandon the quote. Um, This quote is very cerebral, and I I just don't want to take the time because we really got a lot to cover today. But basically what his quote says is this. Simple language, translation of G.K. Chesterton. Don't remove offense until you pause and determine while it was put there, why it was put there in the first place. Don't take away offense until you stop and think about why is it there. Now, a lot of you all know that uh, we're down, we have a ranch. And on our ranch, we have miles and miles and miles of fence. Some of the fence is there to keep things out. Some of the fence is on our ranch, and it keeps stuff in. Some of the ranch is placed there. I mean, some of the fence is placed on the ranch because Marietta and I have decided that this territory that is fenced is kind of higher value than some of the other places. Some of the fence is there. And it allows us to actually run the cows and work them. And even though, even though they don't like going through those fences and getting done what we do to them between those fences, it's good for them. It's a good thing. They don't like it. They don't like that fence. <clears throat> right now, if you went down to our ranch, and if you just walked up to a fence randomly and you tore a fence down, you might get a face full of 2,800 pounds of black Angus bull that we call first class. And if you mess with first class and he gets a hold of you, you're going to understand exactly why that stinking fence was up there. There's no doubt about it. Fence was there for a reason. So don't remove a fence unless you know why the fence was there. Simple, right? Good stuff. Well, on Friday, 
the Supreme Court of the United States handed down a decision that affects a lot of us, probably. They decided that they're going to legalize same-sex marriages throughout the United States. Effectively, what the Supreme Court did was they removed a fence. And the ramifications of that fence removal are going to probably be with us for years or decades or maybe even generations if if Jesus doesn't come back. Right? We're going to have to be dealing with it. Now, some of you guys heard the news and you, you read the news or however you received it, and some of you were shocked and some of you were angered. Some of you might have been joyful. I don't, I don't know, you know. Some of you might have been disgusted. Some of you are worried. Some of you might have broke into intercessory prayer for, for this nation. And praise God if you did. Praise God if you did. That's awesome. We need to be praying. I did get some text messages almost immediately, and the text messages were from people, and they were going, Greg, what's going to happen to our nation? What's going to happen to us as Christians? Well, today we're going to talk about some of those things a little bit. But before we do, I would really want to go to the Word. I want to go to the Word. And I want to talk about marriage. And you know what, church? If we had done this years ago and talked maybe a little bit more about it, we wouldn't be having this sermon today. Just saying. Could happen, right? If we'd have talked more about what God thinks marriage is, and why he thinks marriage is, we, we might not be having this message. But we didn't, so we're going to talk about it today. Praise God. So, go ahead and throw that. You guys can follow right along with me. We're going to throw up all the verses, all the scripture that I'm going to use today very quickly. We're headed for Hebrews 13, so if you want to kind of flip over there, you can go ahead and flip over to Hebrews 13. We'll camp out there, but we're going to take the long way there. <clears throat> Genesis 2.24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. In the beginning, some of the earliest scripture, very earliest recorded things going on, God says a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. This is the first social structure that God created beside the structure, the relationship that existed between God and Adam and God and Eve, right? God created a social structure. It's important. Let's look at Malachi 2.15. We're going to use the message version simply because I like what it says. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? Children of God, that's why. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. And this is a freebie, but it doesn't really apply to this sermon. Don't cheat on your spouse, okay? That's awesome. You get that one for free. But look, his spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage, and he wants from marriage children of God. That's what he wants. Awesome. So he's got a reason for marriage. Marriage, the institution, is so important to God that he uses it to illustrate the relationship 
between Jesus and the church. Let's go to Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as also Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her in the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, we're quoting from Genesis 2 there, and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Then Paul concludes with this, This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Church, let me tell you something. When God paints a, uses something to paint a picture, you can be sure that it's important to God. The reason that Moses didn't get to enter into the promised land is because the second time that he went to the rock to get water out, instead of talking to the rock the way God told him to talk to the rock, he struck it again because he got upset, and God kept him out of the promised land for that very reason. You know why? Because he was trying to paint a picture of what the rock was Jesus. The first time, Jesus was supposed to be struck. The second time, Moses I mean. Moses was supposed to speak to the rock, and Jesus will not be struck when he comes again. Whoa! That's some good stuff! Do not mess with God's pictures. I want to go to the promised land to you. Amen. Let's skip over the uh, 2 Corinthians reference, Joshua, and let's go right to what the Apostle Paul sees in Revelation chapter 19. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God the Almighty has begun to reign. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give Him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has prepared herself. She was permitted to wear fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then He said to me, Write. Blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. Again, we see that God is painting a picture of the relationship between the redeemed church and Jesus, the reigning king. The marriage is used to paint that picture. Marriage is important to God. It's so important, brothers and sisters, that We can take away from these passages several things, right? We can take away that, number one, he established it. Number two, he paints his picture with it. Number three, he put it in place for a reason. There's a reason for marriage. Let's keep going. Hebrews 13.4, this is a really interesting passage. Marriage must be respected by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge immoral people and adulterers. So God actually commands that marriage must be respected. The Greek word there, respected, by all is timios. Timios means as of great price, precious, held in honor, and especially dear. You see that God holds marriage. He wants us to look at it as a precious thing. It's important to Him. Amen? Amen. 
Okay, so you're beginning to get the picture, right? Does anybody? All right, all right. Okay, good. We get it. Listen, this word is clear. This word is clear. God established marriage, and he defined it. And he did it a long time before the Supreme Court made their ruling on Friday. I'm just saying. It's here. It's here. He defined it. He defined it. Okay, Greg, I'll buy it. What do we do now? Well, in, our, in this room, I'm going to consider that we all are what I call contemporary American Christians. And so we're seeing these developments take place and we're going, oh, no, what happens now? But the good news is, is that the body of Christ has faced adversity before. It's not a problem. And the faith has overcome adversity. You, it's nothing new. This is nothing new. You might step out of here and face adversity because of how you believe. But let's look at some more verses in Hebrews. Hebrews 13.6 Therefore we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? Hebrews 13.14 says, For here we do not have an enduring city. Instead we seek the one to come. You know what, brothers and sisters? We are just passing through. We're going somewhere. We are sojourners headed in a direction. You know, these verses, I'm going to tell you right now, these verses are not written by people that are not facing adversity. The only reason that you want to pen verses like this is because there's something that's coming against you. You've got to be encouraged. Throw up uh, uh, 13.8. Here's the takeaway for this part of the sermon. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Amen. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what, church? Say it with me, would you? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have a foundation. We have a foundation. And I praise God that we have a foundation that doesn't change. You know, back in my younger days, a lot of you guys probably do not know this, but I was an air traffic controller and I worked at um, Houston En Route Center and Albuquerque En Route Center until I got tired of working for the government because I hated it. Um, and the centers have the airspace that overlies all other airspace. And so they handle airliners that are en route from, say, Portland to Houston. And when I was at Albuquerque Center, I'd handle a lot of that traffic. And here's the way that and, – and the centers are interesting places. I mean, they're, they're rooms that are probably – there's 20 centers in the United States. They're rooms that are built in hardened buildings because they want to protect what's going on in there. And they're about three times the size of the sanctuary. And down each side, you've got rows of what you guys would call radar screens. And then in the middle, you've got another couple of rows of radar screens. They're actually 
Video displays. Video displays. And so I would sit there at my scope, and here's how it would typically go. And I would wear a headset kind of like this, and I'd have somebody that was helping me if I was the radar controller. Somebody was helping me next door, and sometimes another person next door to that. So we might have three controllers on a position because it gets pretty intense sometimes. never bothered me any, but it does. <clears throat> so here's how it would go. Good morning, Albuquerque Center. This is American Flight 397, flight level 370. Roger, American 397, Albuquerque Center. Um, Albuquerque Center, this is American Flight 397. Uh, We're at flight level 370, and we're getting some turbulence here. We got kind of a rough ride. Now, I hesitate to tell you the rest of this story, but I have to. <laughs> if you guys have ever had rough air on an airliner, I'm going to spill my guts right now. You can chastise me later. <clears throat> so I would turn to the person next to me and I'd say, and keep in mind we're in this hardened building sitting in a chair, and I'd look at him and I'd say, hey, how's your ride? And they'd look at me and they'd go, my ride is good, Greg. I'm like, so is mine. So we wouldn't give them another altitude simply because it's so much stinking work to do it. You've got to clear out all this air traffic to try to give them another altitude to find smooth air. Roger, America 397, maintain flight level 370. Good day. <laughs> you see, <laughs> I was talking to an airliner that was 400 miles away, six miles in the air, my ride was good. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our ride is good. You see this? Nothing has changed. Oh, yeah, there might be some turbulence, but our reference doesn't change. I was supposed to preach a message with my wife, Marietta, today, and God told me to give this word instead. But what I did, <laughs> bless her heart, I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deliver a word. I said, honey, go back there and sit down and come up with a spoken word to, so, so that I can use it and sit down for a little bit. Give your spoken word. This is my wife, Marietta, my, my helpmate, really. Praise God. A court said marriage is defined differently. Oh, my. What's the church to do? I'll tell you, church, this doesn't change anything. We serve the highest court with the highest God, with the highest law that cannot be undone by any worldly legal gallery. We are here to share the gospel, both with words and with deeds, to love, encourage, and pray for one another to the king of kings, to see sinners, of which we all are, brought to repentance before the God who won't be obliterated by any man's written challenge.
I'll tell you, church, this doesn't change anything. We opened our hearts to the abortionists and saw her restored. We opened our compassion to the unwed mother and saw her redeemed. We opened our lives to the adulterers and adulteresses and saw them renewed. We opened our sanctuary to liars and thieves and saw them reformed. We opened our doors to the addicts and idolaters and saw them conformed. We opened our arms to the partiers and porn lusters and saw them purified. We opened our family to the opposite sex shackers and cohabitators and saw them sanctified. And we open our church to the same-sex couples, and we will see Jesus transform. I'll tell you, church, this doesn't change anything. We will not be moved from the firm foundation on which we stand. A marriage equals one woman, one man. Sin is sin, no matter if judicially legalized, despite man's attempt to minimize. For us, it's sin, and we will not be harmonized. So so we will love them all in words and deeds. We will watch them be transformed by the highest court with the highest judge who is filled with unlimited mercy who desires that not one soul be lost, who saves the brokenhearted, the shameful, the miserable, the lost, who leaves the many to rescue the few, who saved me and you and you and you. So I tell you, church, this doesn't change anything. I'm a blessed man. Praise God. (laughs) I know it's really a hard act to follow. So, anyway, one of my favorite verses, um, and I've preached this verse a number of times in 2 Corinthians 3.18, And it says that we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that very same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. Here's what Paul is writing when he says that, that literally we are looking at Jesus and the reflection of Jesus becomes us. And we bring that reflection of Jesus out of these walls and into the world. You see that? For many of us, or for many people, I should say, the only Jesus that they will ever get to know is the Jesus that you are reflecting when you leave. Amen? So on Friday, a fence was removed. And because that fence was removed, our high calling, our mission... To be witnesses for Christ, it became that much more critical. The missions field that we operate in 
became that much more fertile, I believe, on Friday. So we need to look at this as an opportunity. Praise God. So let's circle back to this core scripture because I really want to kind of get our minds around this reflection of Jesus thing because we need to be able to reflect. We need to be the image of Jesus when we go out through those doors, particularly in light of what is taking place in the world today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we believe that. And it's easy for us as believers to look at the forever portion of that. And what does the forever Jesus look like? Well, the forever Jesus looks like he is victorious Jesus. So it's easy for us to reflect victorious Jesus, is it not? It's easy. It's easy. And we want to reflect victorious Jesus. He is the forever Jesus. Amen. I'm glad that we do that. But there are two other Jesuses that are up there. He's the same, yes, but I want to talk about the yesterday Jesus and the today Jesus that we need to embrace, that we need to reflect when we leave this place. So what does the yesterday Jesus look like? Well, the yesterday Jesus was sacrificial. He stepped out of heaven and into the world. The book of Isaiah says that unto us a son is given. He was sacrificial. He stepped out of heaven, out of the presence of the Lord God, and into the world to save each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. That's exactly right. He was obedient even to death on a cross. That's what that yesterday Jesus looks like. He was abandoned and isolated even from his own family. Are you willing to reflect that Jesus when you leave here? Because you might have to. He was rejected and despised. I don't know what's coming. That might be part of the reflection that you have to accept. He was truthful. He was willing to take, tell the truth despite every cost. You have to tell the truth, church. Then we have the today Jesus. Well, what's the today Jesus look like? Well, simple. And this is what we have to reflect as well. The today Jesus looks like this. Today Jesus is loving each and every one of us unconditionally. If you're sinning right now, Jesus would be standing right there in front of you and saying, you know what, I love you. You continue to sin, and I don't recommend that you do that. But you go down here, and Jesus is standing right in front of you and saying, you know what, I love you. That's today Jesus. Today Jesus was not condemning, but redeeming. John 3.17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but through the, that the world through Him might be saved. Today Jesus is not condemning people, but He's trying to redeem people. That's the today Jesus, and we need to be able to reflect today Jesus. And today Jesus is interceding before the Father. Romans 8 says that He is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for the saints. We need to be willing to intercede, not only for the people that we come across, but our nation as well. 
Let me tell you how this actually works. I want to give you a, a quick example. I won't take much more of your time, I promise. <clears throat> Back in the late 90s, Marietta and I purchased a house in Tucson, Arizona. We were relocated to Tucson. And the house was not landscaped. Well, kind of landscaped. But the realtor that sold us the house referred us to a gentleman who did this kind of work. He kind of did odd jobs. He cleaned up new construction projects, things like that. And he said he was a hard worker. And so I called him. We'll call this. Well, his name was Jeff. I called Jeff. And Jeff was in a homosexual relationship with his partner. And they were living together. And the realtor had told me that this was the case before I called him. And I didn't care. So Jeff and his partner show up. And Marietta and I don't, can't afford to do landscaping, have landscaping done. We have to have Jeff and his partner help us. And so we began to work side by side with Jeff and, and his partner. And we would carry, literally carry rocks in buckets in the, into the backyard. And, and we would do all kinds of landscape work and work hard day after day. And the guys wanted to kind of understand what it was like to install a, a irrigation system. And I knew how to do that. So... I walked them through the installation of an irrigation system so that they could add that to their business book. And they just watched Marietta and I, and they watched how we worked and how we interacted. And one day, uh, you know, we decided to invite Jeff and his partner to dinner, and they came to dinner, and we had a great time. And we continued to have them over, and they would come over, and we'd it'd be hot in Tucson, and we'd say, hey, come on over and let's swim in our pool. And so we just began to love them the way that we are commanded to love. That's all we did. We just loved them for a while. Several years later, we got this, we got a number of letters from Jeff, but I want to read a portion of one of the letters that we got from Jeff. Now I know why Jesus seemed to be tugging on me. He wanted me to get over feeling as if I had been cheated out of the good life. Being born black in the USA is not great. He was black. My father died when I was six years old. My mother remarried several years later to a man who did not want me, did not want my sister or me around. I was abused physically as well as mentally. I have been bitter for years about that situation. But now I have made peace within me by forgiving my mother and stepfather. He goes on to talk a little bit more and then he says, I guess what one could say is I had a spiritual awakening. I now walk with God at my side. And this blesses me to no end, brothers and sisters. People like you guys have been placed in my path for reasons I now understand. I remember the first time we talked, the first time you invited me to have dinner at your home. You have no idea what that meant to me. Take care of each other. You will both be in my prayers. Isn't that awesome? That's what we're called to do, brothers and sisters. There was no condemnation that we spoke to Jeff. We allowed the Holy... We, all we did was we loved him. We allowed the Holy Spirit to do the work. 
Pray for them? Yes. Love them? Yes. Model for them? No doubt about it. But the Holy Spirit did the work, and God redeemed the situation. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Come on up, Jake. Come on up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this out here. Church, no doubt about it. On Friday, a fence was removed. The decision does have an impact. It does. No. For the world, I guess the impact means that we're probably one step closer to what Jesus says in Matthew 24, in those days. Probably one step closer to that. Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul tells us about the last days and what they'll be like. Second Peter chapter 3, Peter writes about the last days and what will be going on there. And we're probably one step closer. The world's probably one step closer. But the second to the last verse in the Bible says this, and you can take encouragement. Jesus says, surely I am coming quickly. And it says, amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We're looking forward to the restoration, the ultimate restoration, the fulfillment of God's plan to restore the world. Jesus is coming. And we have something to look forward to. He's going to be holy and just when he comes. He doesn't change. The forever Jesus is coming. Praise God. For a nation. For our nation. I don't know what the decision means. It's probably too early to tell. I don't know. I do know this. That that man's law cannot supersede God's law. Just can't. But know this, too. You know, in 1962, the Supreme Court handed down a ruling and took the Bible out of schools, out of public schools. 1963, another ruling was handed down. Prayer, out. We're still here. 1973, an unjust ruling was handed down by the Supreme Court. And abortion was made legal across all 50 states. And we're still here. And Christians are at the forefront of undoing that unjust law bit by bit, 40 years. And things are getting better. And so now we're faced with another decision. It's all right, brothers and sisters. We have a job to do. For each of us, for each of us as members of the body of Christ, we need to be prepared to help somebody that's hurting. You know, sin has a cost. All sin has cost. And I'm afraid that pulling down this fence is going to result in destruction of not only institutions, but also people. And we need to be prepared to encounter those people and be the loving reflection of Jesus when we encounter them. Can we do that? Amen. Now listen. Has the territory changed? Maybe yes. Maybe yes. You need to be prepared, brothers and sisters. You need to be prepared. When you encounter somebody, you 
need to know the reason for the hope that is within you. You need to be prepared to possibly be called a hater just because you're trying to love somebody out of sin. They might label you a hater. I don't know what it looks like. Be prepared for it. Doesn't matter. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. On Friday, five unelected lawyers, five unelected lawyers, tore down a fence. I believe that the fence was there because God wanted to protect not only us as a people, but all people. He loves everybody. I believe that he established the fence of marriage because he loves people and he wanted to protect them. People are going to celebrate their newfound freedom, but make no mistake, just because they've legalized it, it's still sin. And I can't think of anybody that I have ever known that was trapped in sin that was truly happy. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. The fence was torn down on Friday. But remember this. Our charge is the same. Our mission is the same. This word is the same. Jesus Christ is the same. Amen. What's the condition of the fences in your life? What's the condition of the fences in your heart, in your mind? It's a question we all need to ask. This is time for the church to be pure. We cannot be hypocrites in this hour. You're finished. You're a hypocrite. I was on a bus a couple years ago, and there was a conversation I was overhearing, and it was about homosexuality and the church, in the church, embedded in the church, and and finally, the one with the most opinions said, Hey, preacher, and I've been keeping quiet, what do you think about this? I said, What are you talking about? He said, Gaze in the church, gaze in the pulpit, gaze on the Hammond organ, gaze on the piano, gaze leading the choir, gaze leading the church. What do you think about it? And I noticed it was a man part of the group who who did not participate in the conversation at all. And I wondered if he was struggling with this issue and was feeling condemned by it. So I said, well, let's just talk about sin. Uh, homosexuality is one of the expressions of fornication. Fornication is all forms of sexual activity outside the bonds or outside the fence of marriage between a husband and wife. He says, oh, no, we don't want to talk about fornication. <laughs> Because we are all fornicators here. We want to talk about them gays. And no one in the group disagreed with them. It was a group of hypocrites. It's hypocrites. In the eyes of God, sin is sin. If you're fornicating, you're tearing your fences down. Amen. Lord, purify us as a church. Purify us as believers. Lord, 
Help us to see what Malachi prophesied, that you desire for our marriages to be strong so that our seed will be godly. Lord, enlarge our territory. Make our fences bigger and stronger for the sake of our children and the generations to come. Amen. Let's stand. May the Lord God Almighty bless you, keep you, and enlarge you for His glory. May the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh Himself, cause His face to shine upon you. And may His abundant grace be upon you. And may He lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace that passes all understanding. In the midst of darkness, may you shine as lights for God, walking in the assignment that He has for you. May you never forget, God does not have a plan B. Plan A is still in motion. Go get him, tigers, in Jesus' name. Amen. Clear the stage, and let the sounds and lights ablaze. That's the measure you must take. Crush the idols Shut the pews And all the decorations too Until the congregation's free And have revival